KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In Depth. I'm Tom Rickert. There's been a whole bunch of drug names tossed around recently as more and more labs and hospitals are researching treatments for COVID-19. Hydroxychloroquine is one of the drugs the president has talked about on television. It's also one of the drugs that Penn Medicine is conducting clinical trials on. My colleague Mike Darty called up Dr. Emma Marr. She's the chief clinical officer at Penn Medicine. He wanted to find out more about the trials on coronavirus treatments, how they're being conducted, and what they're excited about right now. It's an all-hands-on-deck effort, and it's a great interview. Here's Mike Darty and Dr. MMR. Tell me, I guess just run down a little bit for me, if you can, what Penn Medicine is working on right now as far as clinical trials go. Sure, happy to. We can uh, group them according to the type of medication that is being tested. So we are doing studies that are antiviral, so trials with a drug called remdesivir. Uh, both an NIH-funded study as well as a study funded by the pharmaceutical company Gilead. We are doing uh, several trials with hydroxychloroquine. We are doing a trial that is looking at removing heart medications, ACE inhibitors, and angiotensin receptor blockers. We are doing a trial looking at taking plasma from people who have recovered from a COVID infection and using it as a treatment in patients who are in the hospital. We are looking at different types of drugs that alter the immune system uh, as a way to try and fix the immune dysregulation that occurs in in patients with COVID infection. So that's a, a, a bit of a sense of the spectrum of the clinical trial work. And then there are, of course, studies that are looking at development of antibodies in in patients who have been exposed to the virus and seeing whether antibodies develop over time and what those antibodies look like. I know from speaking with people that when a clinical trial, uh, there's a year timeline, a lot of the clinical trials, the things that you guys are doing now are almost at a light speed pace. Can you try to put into perspective some of the things that you're accomplishing in these rapid periods of time? Yeah, happy to. Um, So under normal circumstances, to uh, get an idea for a trial uh, right through to starting to enroll the first patients into the trial is is typically around four months uh, between writing the protocol, getting the FDA approval, getting the ethical board or IRB approval, setting up the logistics of the studies. Uh, We are now, we've shown in in many situations where we're getting that done in around 10 days. And the reason why we're we're able to do it as quickly as we can is multifaceted. One, the FDA has been incredible in partnering with people trying to come up with new approaches to, to treat this disease, and so they're very, very responsive. Number two is is that the ethics board, the IRBs, are convening panels of reviewers as soon as a a study is submitted. So they're working around the clock and turning around studies very, very quickly. The third is um, there's been 
a significant slowing down of uh, what's called non-essential clinical trial work. And so the staff that were working on those projects are all hands on deck, um, helping to focus our, our efforts and the sense of urgency in getting these trials off the ground. And so the operational elements of actually doing clinical trials, which is incredibly labor-intensive work, um, we've got lots of people who want to help out and, and, and want to, um, you know, jump into the trenches and, and do what they can to help. And then the last, I would say, is that um, patients want to participate. You know, one of the real challenges of doing clinical trials is people being willing to enroll into clinical trials where there's a chance that they may not get an active drug. And because there are no known treatments for this disease, um, people are much more likely to say yes to clinical trials. So I think those four things combined together have um, accelerated the pace exponentially and, and allowed trials move very quickly. I, from my understanding, um, getting patients to sign up for these things has always been very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you actively seeking out more patients now, or do you guys have all you can handle at this point? So the vast majority of these trials, well, at least 70% of them, are being done on patients who are already in the hospital. Uh, and unfortunately, we have more patients than we do have slots on, on trials. I hope that will get better over time as we we combat this infection. Um, so for the studies that are enrolling in patients, we, we, um, I think we're in pretty good stead. For the studies that are enrolling uh, people who are not in the hospital, it's either people who are at high risk of exposure, which are typically healthcare workers or paramedics, firefighters, ambulance drivers, et cetera. Um, they are the very first people who want to step forward and participate in research. So we have no shortage of healthcare workers who want to participate. And then the last group are people who are tested positive, but they're in quarantine at home. That is harder to do research in that patient population because of the shortage of uh, protective equipment, the risk of exposure if you go into somebody's home and they have an active infection. So enrolling into those trials can be a little bit more challenging than any of the others. But I would say that overall, um, people being willing to engage in research is not a limiting factor right now. The one trial, and you mentioned there was a very strong willingness among first responders and healthcare mm-hmm. workers. The mm-hmm. one is on healthy healthy people who are at risk. Um, yeah. What can you tell me about that trial now? And yeah, sure. What, what is being used? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a trial. It's called a prospective observational study. Um, and so what it does is it um, recruits people who are currently healthy and obtains blood from them at very regular intervals. And as they progress, some of them are going to develop a positive COVID test, and some of those are going to go on and develop symptoms. And so the focus of of that particular study is to um, measure how long it takes to develop antibodies and try and develop an accurate picture of what immunity looks like. So that particular study is pure um, altruism, that the people who are participating in that study 
they get nothing in return, just the contribution of their blood sample as a way to try and help understand the disease and understand what development of immunity looks like. Um, the, the, we, we are not currently doing trials where we're giving drugs to people who are completely healthy as a preventative measure. Uh, the one you also mentioned is Rezetavan, is that how you pronounce that? Remdesivir. That's remdesivir, yes. Yeah, remdesivir, yeah. Is that administered via IV, and is that yeah. uh, for people who are in pretty bad shape? It's two different patient populations. So one is patients who are very sick. They're typically in the intensive care unit, and they're typically ventilated. Um, the other is a patient population that are not as sick, and they're they're in the hospital, uh, but not as critically ill. What sort of uh, response or treatment is this type? Is this drug? What, what does it what does it do? The drug is intended to um, get rid of the virus. Essentially, it's intended to increase the rate at which you would clear the virus from your bloodstream. It's an antiviral, a little bit like an antibiotic would get rid of bacteria. This is the drug that is targeted at getting rid of viruses. I, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the hydroxychloroquine because of the president's mm -hmm. been speaking about it, but this is sure. one I don't think most people have heard about yet. Yeah. I think he may have mentioned this in, in some of his, his uh, messages. It is a drug that is getting increasing levels of attention. There was a press release in, in the media from Chicago of where uh, patients have been treated there and the outcomes were optimistic. It was, the data weren't shared, but the experience of the investigator, she was interviewed and she relayed that the patients who were receiving remdesivir were improving. And, and that certainly is optimistic news, uh, but we need to be careful not to jump to conclusions because these trials need to be done well and done through to completion in order to be able to get the true answer. But it, it's somewhat optimistic. No, I understand there's a lot of data that goes into this, and there's a lot of work that still needs to be done, uh, and there's a, a one-year timeline on a lot of these things. But mm -hmm. when, when can we or when can you have sort of a, a somewhat reasonable idea of which way a trial is heading? After a certain period of time, does it start to sort of show, okay, it's looking like this might be going this direction or yes. this might be going in a poor direction? Yeah, so I get asked that question all the time. Everybody wants the answer earlier than when it's going to be available. So, so the way these studies are designed is they have something set up called interim analysis. And these are predetermined time points where um, a group of, of individuals called the Data Safety Monitoring Board go in and look at the data to see if there are early signals of efficacy or early signals of toxicity. And um, the reason that they do that is if there is enough of a signal of efficacy early, you want to stop the trial and then make the drug available to everybody. And so for every trial, the interim endpoints occur at different time points. Um, and so for remdesivir, there is an NIH study that just finished its first enrollment of 400 patients. I am going to guess that the NIH is going to evaluate that data and make a decision about what the next direction for that trial is going to be. Similarly, for the Gilead studies, they are going to require enrollment of a significant percentage of their patients before they're going to come out 
and give us any clue as to what the direction the study is in. So I'm going to imagine that for remdesivir, we probably aren't going to get a good sense of reliable information that will influence our decisions for many months. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I was just looking for some sort of idea because it's, it's really hard to know when things are ready to go. Um, I appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Um, it's, I know you guys have so many things going on. Last question before I let you go. Is there any, any idea if there's long-term effects from this? I know it's way too early to speculate on these kind of things, but based on other coronaviruses that have been around for decades, is there a potential for long-term issues going forward? Sadly, yes. Um, you know, the, the very severe version of this disease takes um, a real hit on, on kidneys, liver, lung. Um, when people are ventilated for very long periods of time, there's always the potential of long-term consequences. So I think the best way to answer your question is that because the virus um, causes a such a catastrophic illness, and that that illness is, uh, affects so many organs in the body, I think it's reasonable to um, anticipate that there will be long-term consequences as a result of the virus affecting other organs in the body. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for your time. Have a great night. You have been fantastic. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. If you want to listen to more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you just want to know how the news that you see on TV or hear on the radio will affect you personally, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Just search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Tom Rickard, and we'll have another episode out soon. 